Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206 206- Four five one four two two zero. GreatNorthernElectric.com serving our Bainbridge and Kitsap neighbors with solutions for anything electrical in your home. Two zero six eight four two three six two zero. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance. We help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. Are you a service member thinking about buying or selling your home? Whether you're active duty, a veteran, or a family member, you need a real estate professional who understands the unique challenges of the military. A Navy veteran, certified military relocation professional, prior Blue Angel, and CEO of the Repoint Real Estate Group at Keller Williams Realty Puget Sound, Scott Lever specializes in helping military families relocate to and from the Kitsap Peninsula. Call him today at 206-486-4891 or visit online at repoint.com. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. What's good, Podcastville? You have found the Bystander Podcast. Today I'm setting in with Holly Brewer from Indivisible Bainbridge Island. Good morning, Holly. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. How are you? Really excited to have you here. Um, I excited think to be here. I'm a bit of a novice when it comes to politics and all things relative to how the world operates in that realm. And after talking to you numerous times, I feel like you're very versed in the political world and can help me out on on a few things. Uh, Today, the school has decided, well, some kids have got together and walked out of school the last hour on on the basis of having a climate strike. What prompted this? Do you know? 
there's been two reports that have come out recently uh, that have been talking about how climate is the climate is suffering very badly and it really needs action within the next 12 years or we have severe uh, migrations uh, food problem problems with growing food um, and uh, potential uh, national security issues quite aside from the fact we'll have more natural disasters uh, it's it's really uh, an international emergency and so this is part one this is just one of the multiple movements now but this is uh, primarily run by young people what what constitutes a movement per se it's a collection of people working together with a common goal uh, and uh, the the more common the goal and the more universal it is to different kinds of individuals then the more people tend to gel and work together do you think this is inspired by um, the New Green Deal at all? I don't think that hurts. And I don't think uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez getting involved with uh, the Sunrise Movement working on the Green New Deal hurts either. Uh, Let me back up real quick. What's the Sunrise Movement? Well, that's an excellent point. The Sunrise Movement is uh, is a movement of, uh, again, primarily young people. Um, it's It started in, um, in Washington, D.C., and uh, it's a it's an, a national group. Uh, it's very exciting. About a month ago, we got a Seattle chapter. Uh, I was hoping to go to a meeting with the Washington State chapter previous to that, but it was in Tacoma or somewhere much further away. So I was very relieved. And now we have in the last week we have a uh, Olympic Peninsula chapter as well, which is wonderful. So they they really are popping up absolutely everywhere, and um, they're now in Bellingham. I mean, there's there's numerous in Washington State. So you'd have to look at the website every day to see them popping up. They're very exciting, and they promote the Green New Deal. That's their primary goal. So since I've known you uh, in the brief period of time over the last three four months, I'm starting to learn a lot more, and I'm I'm watching what the individual indivisible group is doing, <laughs> and uh, you're heading that up. And I like how some of the standards are just basically start local first. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about what what the theme is and how people participate in Indivisible? I totally will. I totally will. But I want to just pull back just briefly on the climate strike. I wanted to give the oh, students a shout out. Um, first of all, I wanted to give a shout out because um, – the climate strike, I only found out about it three weeks ago, and I was anxious that people weren't doing it. Uh, I have older children. I don't have the opportunity to talk to students about doing it. So I'm really excited they're doing it at Maybridge High School this morning at 10 o'clock. That's really wonderful. I received an email this morning from the school saying no children, no students will be penalized for doing that, which is wonderful. Um, and they're also doing uh, climate strikes in Kingston and North Kitsap High Schools, which I just found out yesterday. I was so excited because it all happened so fast. People are so anxious to do something and I wanted to talk about their demands very briefly yeah sure. a transition to 100% clean energy fossil fuels in the ground and to help the victims of climate crises which are already happening so I just wanted to give them a shout out and I think the this movement on climate really needs to be spearheaded by the youth because yeah. they're the ones that are going to suffer the most for our adult behavior over yeah. years and years and years so, yes, good on them, good on you for shouting them out, and I hope it it's a, a warning sign for everybody that this is real and we need to participate, and the more people that we get communicating that, you know, we care about this earth, the better. 
we, you're, you're absolutely right about the youth needing to lead it. I think um, it's easy to be older. I'm 49. It's easy to be older and have habits. Um, um, always uh, driving everywhere, living out of town, having a big house that you heat that is not environmentally friendly. We, we do these things because these are things that we're accustomed to, that we grew up with. And the children, uh, the younger people are ready for a paradigm shift. I really do. And I've been thinking a lot about that, about the things that have changed over the generations. Uh, you know, we have inside toilets. Uh, we have we sent a man to the moon. Uh, we we don't accept anymore that you assume that your baby might die. You know, you just mm-hmm. assume that they would go to an incubator. There's some way to fix bodies. Uh, uh, we have healthcare for women now so that they can take place in the workplace and society and not be saddled with these kinds of problems. And we, we just expect things to be fixed now. There's certain expectations that have happened extremely quickly. It's easy to forget how quickly things have changed and how quickly things can change. And they are growing up in a different environment and they're thinking a lot about the environment. They won't accept the same challenges to the environment that we cause. Right. I mean, it it's only fair to to have Earth to play on when you grow up, right? And air to breathe and water to drink. Yeah, that that seems like they should get a fair shot at that the same way that we did. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think drinking water it, is at a crisis state worldwide. Um, the oceans are in peril. the The air quality, the forest fires. There's a lot going on that that indicates that. All the science is correct, and people that deny the climate change still or think that the Earth is flat or somebody did not go to the moon is is just arguing the wrong point in my in my belief. It's like, uh, let's say maybe there's a chance that you're wrong. You know, why don't you lean towards trying to do your best to help the Earth? You, you would think, and I think Want is a good example for that because to – Pour weed in the feed on your yard regularly and use the kind of fertilizers that um, cause problems when they run into water and you wouldn't mix it into water and then drink it. And then to say that that's not causing problems is just ignoring facts, really. Yeah, the Suquamish tribe came out last week saying that they've had enough of these accidental spills and runoffs as well in Kitsap County. Good. And we we need more people leveraging action. Uh, yep, Absolutely. So- Get to telling us a little bit about Indivisible and mission statement. Uh, I like how it it's all over the United States and it's in small pockets and it's very straightforward how you can participate and how you can make a change. It is. It's, it's incredibly straightforward. Uh, there's two main principles to Indivisible and one is to resist Trump's agenda. Uh, and I would say that that's not exact wording for what they've said, but it's it's not just resisting Trump, it's resisting this administration. Um, their core values are all for big money and um, and they regard the, earn, the earned benefits that we've had, such as Social Security, as entitlements. And that, that, that kind of attitude is what we're resisting. And the other second principle is... Uh, to act locally. So um, it's very tempting to buy a plane ticket and go and move in with somebody in Kentucky and live there just so that you can vote and go against Mitch McConnell, but that's not how that works. You have to think long term. You have to think of small things and big things that you can do uh, to to do the, to operate on those two principles. So you have to work with your members of Congress and you have to work with your local people. 
uh, and and an un- unspoken thing that they've said is that it, it's about working together in groups. It's about forming groups and then finding things that you can do that you maybe like doing or that you'll, you know, phone banking might be challenging because people might put the phone down on you or be a bit mean. But, you know, things that you will put up with because you you feel strongly principled. When you feel like somebody is severely endangering your environment or, um, or the reason that I got involved, which is that I don't want my children to die uh, my oldest is 22, and when he's 26, he may not have my health care, and he may die. So I don't, I, and that's not the, that any of my kids have horrible health problems. I just, in general, in principle, don't want my children to die. And so this is the kind of thing that motivates people. Um, and it's easy to be afraid and say, I, I have, I had this problem, and I'm going to give up. But you have two choices: you give up, or you do something. And so I just chose to do something. And I meant to say at the beginning of the interview, I'm British. Okay. Um, I am. I've been here for 21 years. I can't shake the accent, but um, you know, I'm. I'm not. I have obviously thought of buying a plane t- ticket and going back to the UK. Uh, they have Brexit that makes them racist to my mind, so I'm not that excited about going back there either. But I could take the soft option, but I, I, I think that would make me a coward, and I don't want to be that person. So I'm going to stay here and stand on my own two feet and speak my mind. You do things besides indivisible, correct? You have. You're a writer of some sort with a vlog about politics. Is that correct? Uh, I have a blog, um, yeah, which was to sort of indicate the details of what our local politicians are doing. It's 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 morphing as time goes on. I'm trying to make it more of a Washington State project. Mm-hmm. So oh, I, how long have you been with Indivisible? Um, since, since, well, that that's a tough one to say because it was a mental shift to get there. Um, the when the election happened, and all the jaws dropped, and then um, and then the women's march. Uh, there's, there's just been a number of number of pieces to it, but I, I wanted to say something interesting about how Indivisible started. Uh, there was some staffers, and their jaws dropped as well, and um, and they were thinking, what can they do? And so they decided to put together a a Google document on December 14, 2006, and it went on Ezra Levin's Twitter account. And it went viral, and and they had millions of downloads, and they were just absolutely shocked. And so, um, over the next few months, they had people contact dealing with them, and it, it got really crazy. Uh, people just wanted a backbone for it, basically, I think. And so that's what Indivisible became. And so they set up these principles, and uh, it's just become a national movement. We have a Northwest director; they have a formal team. They get paid to do this now, and. Uh, and it, it's really wonderful to have that, uh, to have a, a, a uniform uh, movement across the country. And also, we do get advice from our Northwest director. Um, and it, it helps us. We had a conference last year. It helps us to work together and learn the skills that we need because we're all jumping in this from nothing. Well, okay, most of us are jumping in there from nothing. There's some people who, have, who are very highly skilled in, in public relations and so on, but that's not me. I'm a web developer. Yeah, I ran into you guys at uh, Howard Schultz's Announcement at the Moore Theater. They had a huge protest about fracturing the Democratic Party there and a few other things. And it was pretty well attended. I was there for other reasons, but um, you guys are active quite a bit. And you guys have something called Resist Trump Tuesdays. Tell me a little bit about that. So Resist Trump Tuesdays was started by Move On. We don't just move with Indivisible and ignore everybody else. We do work with the ACLU and Move On and so on. Anyway, this was a Move On initiative. 
And the idea was for the first 100 days, you go once a week on a Tuesday and you go to your representative's offices. This could be your representative, your senator, somebody that represents you, but it's local. It's local action. And so you go there and you insist on speaking to them and you say, you, you talk, well, the first 100 days particularly is about nominations for the cabinet, you know, terrifying uh, nominees like Betsy DeVos. And you say what you think about that and you ask your representative, even if they're blue, they're red, it doesn't matter, to vote against this person. And it's a show of numbers across the country to Democrats and Republicans that we we have woken up. They have woken the lion and we will not go back down. And we, uh, I don't believe that after the first hundred days, we did not go back. And I don't believe after the first two years, we're going to go back. I think that We've been politicized and um, people can go off and make a lot of money. And uh, I'm working part time now, for instance, and they can go off and do other things with their time, go skiing. Uh, those things don't appeal when um, our administration is destroying the planet and, um, and, and people are dying because they're taking their health care away. You know, these kinds of things. These are, these are big problems. And so I don't think that even if we get a progressive Democratic Party and they get voted in for the presidency, I still don't think we're going to back down. Those small things will not get left behind anymore. The things that we have let slide will not slide anymore. I think that those days are over. Yeah, it's very much so. Like, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. The more you go into those situations, like going to the federal building and talking to Patty Murray or Maria Cantwell or scheduling time, because they have to take X amount of public meetings, correct? I, I don't know. I don't know about the, the inner, their inner workings if they have to, but um, we we insisted. Uh, we how, went. How do you go about insisting? Uh, it's it's actually quite fun, as long as you do it as a group. You feel like a bit of an idiot if you do it on your own. So you got a little uh, mob, mob mentality that, <laughs> that races your heart up. I, I don't know if five or six people's a mob, but well, hey, it could be. Uh, but so. Um, well, we, we went along the first 100 days every single Tuesday, and then people started to hear about it, and we had a huge group of people to start with. And But you do, over time, you get attrition. And then after the first 100 days, uh, Facebook's been a big tool that we've been using because it's just easy to sort of message people, but they don't have to message back, but you can get a huge amount of people. Well, everybody knows Facebook. I don't know why I'm explaining Facebook. So, <laughs> so um we posted on Facebook, and then um, and then the, the the Tuesday after the hundred days, uh, one of my friends said, who who I'd met through this, said, "Well, are you guys going to see me there on Tuesday?" I said, "So after the first hundred days, we're not going." And she said, "Well, I'm going." I thought, "Well, she's going, I'm going." So, uh, so we went, and uh, and the staffers said they couldn't meet us, so we we were prepared for that. So we came with letters, and we handed the letters over, hand signed, hand delivered, because there's. There's actions that you can do when you're uh, uh, approaching a senator or a representative or from from any level of government, actually. And the strongest is in person. Uh, and then and then it's email, phone call, and then it's a letter that you've sent. So um, or faxes, of course. And so uh, in person with a letter, we felt that was the strongest thing to do. And so we did. We would take letters saying what we what we felt. And we would tell them, we, we come at 12.30 every Tuesday. And so uh, you won't see us. So we'll come at 12.30 every Tuesday because this is Resist Trump Tuesday. This is what we do. And um, and they were like, okay. They thought it was a little strange. Uh, but, but we kept coming. And uh, and we, we would take pictures uh, with them if we could. And we would put it on Twitter or um, Facebook and tag them. That's very, very important to make sure that they're, they're seen publicly for their, their behavior. They, they direct their staff. 
And so if their staff behave like that, then that's their behavior. And so um, so after about five or six weeks, um, they, they said, okay, let's have meetings. So we had meetings every single Tuesday, and we did that for two years. And this uh, this year, starting January, we're having meetings every month, and we're fine with that because uh, we're spending more time with our representatives. So we've started to go and see Representative Kilmer because we have the House now, and um, all of this is about power. We want to have power in our government, in the people that represent us. And the 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 senators are in the minority, so they're, they're a bit challenged to have power. At this point, they have power, but the House has more because we have the majority. So they, they have no excuse with having the charge of the committees and um, and having the majority and vote that, that they can't have power and push forward things that we regard to be important. So it's very important to speak to the House representatives now. Um, and there were there were snafus along the way when we had that six week period when they wouldn't meet us on the Tuesdays. Uh, one time we went along uh, to Maria Cantwell's office and there was five or six of us and we went to say the same people every week. And um, and they had people that were just coming from a meeting and they should have known we would be there. It was twelve thirty on a Tuesday, and uh, and they had I don't know what kind of meeting it was, but it looked like they had five or six people there, and they were about to leave. And we were going in and they were going out, and so the people they had going out, they sort of shuffled them back so they wouldn't see us in case we said something or I don't know what. But it was it was kind of awkward, and we thought that was quite funny. And another time we went by and they had a meeting which we thought was peculiar because it was. 12.30 on a Tuesday and um, so we took a picture of all of us standing by the door and my friend sliding the letter under the door it was very cute and Twitter like that so we went by <laughs> the next week and we showed them the picture on my friend's phone and they said yeah we saw it <laughs> <laughs> so but you know it's it's not about being rude or it's, it's about being funny but it's, but insistent and saying no I'm sorry you represent me so this is the way that I'm going to behave and that's the way that you're going to behave but I'm going to be hurt because you work for me so little microaggressions that add up that all of a sudden you can't ignore as, as a as a politician so is that you take the ferry over to uh the federal building and oh yeah camp out there every tuesday at twelve thirty. well no we do that on the second tuesday now so we went this uh past tuesday and we met with uh senator murray and well, senator cantwell staffers um and we tell them things that are important to us actually this week was really fun because uh like it's not about being aggressive it's about being funny and insistent and being you and having a real personality, a, a human being they can see and and feel about. Um, and anyway, this this week was was really fun because we uh, went with the Patrick's Day theme and we took shamrocks. So we had uh, green um, paper and we cut it out in the shape of shamrocks. And then we wrote, "Can you please just simple message? Can you please co-sponsor the Green New Deal?" Um, and then our names and our zip code. And then we got a, a bunch of them from people in Bainbridge Island and p- a bunch of them we wrote just before we went in to see the senator's staff. And then we presented it to them, shook the hands with them and uh, took pictures and put them on social media to make sure that um, there's no doubt in anybody's mind that we've made very, very clear numerous people, even people who can't make it to the senator's building then in, in Seattle, they can still be heard because their their note is there and it was hand-delivered. And we also wrote shamrocks that were then delivered to Bremerton. And um, I just heard from my friend this morning, he hasn't received them yet. There's something wrong with the mail delivery, but maybe I could have sent them from a better mailbox. I'm not sure, but 
he'll receive those and he'll hand deliver them to Derek Kilmer also to make sure that he gets a clear message. And maybe they'll put them up in the office if you go to their offices. A lot of times they put the letters sent to them on the wall and they're shamrocks. They're cute. How has your interactions gone with Patty and Maria? Do you find them um, receptive? It's complicated. Um, I've I've seen them numerous times. They've come out. Uh, they've thanked us, which is really sweet uh, to say. In, in the meetings at the senator staffers early on, they haven't done it lately, but they'll pop down and they'll pop in for a few minutes and they'll say, thank you so much for coming. We want you to be heard. Um, it's really important that we understand um, what you guys are feeling. Um, it, it, it's very frustrating when we ask them to do something we don't understand why they won't, like the Green New Deal. I, it, essentially, to me, the Green New Deal, we'll, we'll get into more details later, but it's just asking them to do their job, to take care of people and allow us to have an environment to live in uh, and, and take care of income inequity. It seems obvious to me. It's challenging when they won't take that attitude, but you just you can just keep knocking on the door. What are what are some of the goals for the group um, in the next six months? Short term goals. I'm glad you asked. Um, we have um, there's two um, initiatives that we've decided to focus on, and one is HR one, which I don't want to focus on, but I do want to talk about it. And two is the Green New Deal. What is HR one? So HR one is the first bill that went into the House. It's the most important because it's regarding fixing democracy. Um, to my mind, um, there's two reasons uh, that we got the Trump administration. One was um, because there's income inequity and people need to feel some power in their lives. They, they, they don't understand why billionaires are flying around in helicopters and they can't afford to feed their children. They're on food stamps even though they have a job. You know, that, that's obviously an issue. But the second problem is uh, democracy itself is broken. The way that we elect people in is corrupt. And so... There's three main things in HR 1. One is campaign finance reform to get dark money out of politics. And number two is ethics. Uh, This is about disclosing tax returns, uh, not being able to use taxpayer money to solve uh, sexual allegations. Um, A new ethical code. (laughs) Who does that? (laughs) Right. You know, the underbelly, the nasty underbelly, and then voter rights, automatic voter registration. It gets more complicated than that. But that's one thing that we think is really important. And unfortunately, Mitch McConnell, it's gone through the House, which is wonderful. But Mitch McConnell is calling it a power grab. He thinks it's going to get more Democrats in. And so it it, in itself is corrupt by allowing people to vote and have a a not a corrupt Congress. So that's H.R. 1, which is now locked by Mitch McConnell and waiting for 2020. But it's important that it got through the House. That's an important indicator. And it's also an important message to the Senate for 2020 that this has to move forward or, you know, it it, it would be really embarrassing. That's why it's important for bills to move forward, even if they can't make it past the Senate. And go ahead. Uh, Tell me the difference between legislation, levies and bills. Good Lord. Legislation is, to my to my understanding, is bills. Uh, it's it's a list of things that need to happen, or perhaps uh, appropriations. And um, and a bill is a legislation is nothing unless it's been signed into law. Unless is legislation when it has been signed into law. I'm forgetting my electric company. Um, a bill is just a bill song. I uh, right, the schoolhouse rock. Like we were talking when we were coming over into the studio 15 here this morning. It's like. I don't get all the verbiage of 
left, left of center, progressive, liberal, oh. socialist, Republican, Democrat, blue, red, this state, that state. It's it's hard to get a commonality term sometimes. And there's so many acronyms out there in the political, like AOC. You know, we've just shortened her name. So um, I always like to know a little bit more and have a little bit better clarity. Um what are some of the events that you've done in the past with Invisible that have been successful for you guys? Uh, well, Resist Trump Tuesday has been very, very successful. It's allowed us uh, not only to um, to do what we were doing, but also to um, meet with other people from other groups. We have people that come from Renton, Linwood, uh, Port Townsend, all over the place to come in Seattle on 2nd Avenue. Uh, and so that's been really important to coalesce and share ideas. Um, one thing that uh, has been, was really successful is uh, Mara Maru Villapando is uh, an activist, a Hispanic activist who um, is undocumented and she was going to be thrown out of the country by ICE. And so we all got together and rallied until they they let that go and uh, they, they, they're on appeal now. So that, that was really important that they did that. And also um, the leader of... Uh, I'm, oh, the, the leader of the Department of Licensing um, against the governor's orders was giving the information of, of, from people um, I forget which kind of information but information to ICE um, and then ICE was then able to follow up and deport people uh, we are a sanctuary state so that is against the executive order that's passed by the governor and so um, we rallied about that as well at the ICE offices, which are very close to the Senate offices in downtown Seattle, uh, and she was fired because initially they just fired the deputy, and we were not happy with that. Uh, we were extremely angry that they were endangering our immigrant neighbors. So we all worked together to do that, and we had all met through Resist Trump Tuesday, so that was really important. Uh, one, one personal thing for me was that... Um, I was really intent on one of the bills that uh, Indivisible National had first highlighted, which was S-27, uh, which was demanding an investigation into the president's uh, Russian ties. Um, and uh, it, it was quite a big bill, but it was asking for a specific group of people to be set aside. And it, you could say that Mueller became that group and it just morphed into something slightly different. But but initially we didn't have that. So that was what I was demanding and, and I thought it was really important. So I was pushing for it really frustrated me that Senator Murray was a co-sponsor and Senator Cantwell was not, particularly because um, she's on a cybersecurity committee. And I was thinking, well, this 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 is the kind of thing that she should be concerned about, hacked elections and foreign powers. Um, so I just didn't understand why she would not co-sponsor it. So I would email every single day. And um, I, I did this for months. And then, event, and of course, we go in and see the senator staffers so they know us by face. And they have our phone numbers anyway. And so um, Tommy, her staffer, called me up after I've been doing this for months. And he said, you know, she's not going to co-sponsor it. Why do you keep asking? I said, because it's really important. He said, look, the reason she won't co-sponsor it is because the president would veto it. He doesn't want to be investigated. And I said, well, actually, uh, this is particularly ironic. I was in Washington, D.C. at the time. I hadn't been before since I was a child. And I had been reading the Constitution because I went to see the original Constitution because I don't generally sit around reading the Constitution. And uh, and I had read about the supermajority, so I said, well, that's a possibility, isn't it? So And I want her to co-sponsor it as my representative. And she did, like, within the next week, because I would check daily. 
Uh, and, and, and another thing that's kind of sweet and ironic about it is she was the 27th co-sponsor, so I thought that was really cool. Now, there's 28 now, but of course it's dead because we've gone on to a different Congress. Hmm. Um, what kind of things do you do locally here on the island that people can get involved in? I'm glad you asked. We have um, postcards on Wednesdays is our new initiative. It's super fun. It's uh, from 2 to 4 at the Harbour Pub. Uh, and we write postcards. Uh, there's, uh, you know, it, you'd think the election season was done. Well, that's no, not true whatsoever because people resign. They, um, you know, they get sick. They get personal problems, so they they drop out of all sorts of seats all over the country. So there's this group that started, and they wrote. I don't know, five postcards, whatever it was at the time, is how they started. And now they end up and they have thousands and thousands of postcards that they do every week. And uh, I don't know if they did a job they must do, uh, but I know they do thousands a week. So what they do is they, um, they have a list of addresses, publicly available addresses of voters, not without names, but just the addresses. And you can write to these people and ask them to vote. And these are left-leaning people uh, in special elections for judges, state senators. Did you just say left-leaning? I might have done. <laughs> what, I might have. what does left-leaning mean? Progressive. Uh, having the values that all, all human beings matter. We need to take care of each other. It's, it's, it's a matter of we rather than me, in essence. Um, so when you write to these voters, uh, then it, it's, it's not just important that they, they're kind of on our side. It's also uh, important because they pick elections, and I don't know how they weed all this stuff out, but they pick ones where it's really important. Like, for instance, if you have a Supreme Court in a state and they have nine members, and there's that one member that's going to tip it from one side to the next if they get in, and also they're likely to win if people just vote, if people know to vote, because you don't think you're going to vote in March, right? But you should if you live in those areas. So we're just writing them a handwritten note to say, can you please uh, remember to vote? This is when the election is, and this is the person that w- would be great to vote for, and this is why, you know, with a little love heart or something. They can tell that it's coming from the Seattle area, and that's fine. It's just it's, it's a little pat on the head to them to say, could you please, that would be really make me really happy. What is the voices of majority and what do you see the majority being? Uh, um, this is an initiative started by my friends uh, Bill and Anna McLean. Shout out to you guys. Um, and uh, Voices of the Majority is uh, a statement of fact where Hillary Clinton would have won by three million of the popular vote if you know things had gone the way that they should. They did not. So uh, we are the majority uh, and we want to be heard. Uh, it's, a, it's a very powerful name. So Voices of the Majority is 4.30 to 6.30, generally at um, upstairs in um, Office Expats, which is above the movie theatre in Bainbridge Island in the pavilion. It's going to be, for the month of March, it's going to be um, actually at Bainbridge Brewing. Uh, but generally, it's at, it's at Voices of it's at, um, Office Expats. And, so uh, the majority is the Democratic Party. Yes. I just want to be clear with that. I want to speak to some common folk like myself, too. Well, <clears throat> yeah, Indiv- Indivisible is not about, about picking Democrats over Republicans. It's about picking decent politicians who are progressive, because not every Democrat is progressive. Uh, so in Moises, the majority, they, they write notes, they, um, they, they call politicians, they, they talk about important issues, they pick things that they want to focus on, and they focus in on those issues. 
Um, and one of the things that's really important about Invisible is having groups of people that have uh, tight relationships that will maintain, that's the key to maintaining momentum, is to having people who have the same values as you, who want to do the same things as you, and you empower each other because not only does everybody bring different talents to the table, but also um, it, it feels you, you, hard, you work harder if you're working with somebody else. You have a sort of sisterhood and you have to, you have to show up or people are like, well, where, where'd you go? You know, and, and it feels good to work with other people. Yeah, it's a team. Exactly. Which stands for together everyone achieves more. Absolutely. And there it is. You start, you start feeling like you can accomplish so much more Right. When you have somebody that's backing you up or you can bring a skill set that may be lacking to somebody else's. Right. Um, we had uh, people who um, locally who they had, uh, I forget which election it was. I think it was Emily Randall and LD26 around Bremerton. And um, there was there was vote. There was there's people occasionally whose signatures not. Uh, legible or other things like that, something wrong with the ballot. And it was a stupidly close race. It was crazy. And there was people from Baby John then driving down there and and sitting outside people's houses with, you know, saying, can you please sign your ballot again? Or, you know, or whatever it was to chase up a few votes so that we could really make this work. Um, and, and there's other people that write letters to the editor to clarify things like the Green New Deal or whatever else it might be that's important. And then we have people that have the time, like me, to go to see the senator's office, senator's staffers uh, on Tuesdays. How many letters do you think you write a week? Oh, me? Yeah. It, it depends. Right now, uh, this How last... How fired up you are. Is <laughs> <laughs> that too? Uh, it, it's, we're coming to the end of the session now in Washington State. And so there's a lot of people... Uh, well, the week before, there was scrambling because I think it was the 22nd was the last date you could have bills that were going to go in at all to come out of committee. And then this last week, then we're winding up the session. So the votes are coming in and, um, and bills are coming to the end of their shelf life and then they'll be dead. So... Um, Quite a lot, probably lately. Um, I, I generally, I, I mean, I do letters then to deliver to the staffers, but generally it's it's emails, and I probably send I don't know seven a day. I don't know, but they're, they're reasonably short because it's not the length that they count. They count the number of phone calls, they count the number of emails, faxes, personal visits. That they they literally count those. So you can write a letter that's twelve pages long, and it feels good, but you get one vote. Right. Um, you want to move on to the green deal? Because I'm dying to talk about it's the meat of it. Let's do it. Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong. The green deal popped up about a hundred years ago or something like that. A previous president. Um, oh, the new brought deal. It out, brought out the green deal, and this is not completely a new idea. Like we didn't get in an Earth crisis and decide that we have to protect it. There's people that have been trying to set things in stone here to help save this earth for a long time. Why do you think there's so much resistance? Is it all economic? Why can't we get people to, to care a little bit more than they do right now? Uh, I have to say that's, well, if you're talking about politicians, it has to be to do with dark money. That, that has to be two things. Uh, what, dark three, money, you said? Three things. Yeah, there's dark money. What is that? Where you have the fossil fuel company that has a stranglehold on uh, Congress. That's a lot of money going around. We see that in the power that Saudi Arabia has that they definitely don't deserve. 
Um, there's just a lot of dark money going around. A lot of politicians realize they literally won't get in, pa- in power to do the things that are good unless they take the bad money to do it because they won't be able to have the advertisements they need. They won't be able to um, pay off other people around them, perhaps. I mean, I don't really know how deep the web goes, but it, it's not it's not pretty. And the other thing is if they if they go and jump in with both feet into the Green New Deal, then that means that um, they, they might think they're not going to get voted in in key areas because of the Electoral College. They have to win certain states. So they're walking a tightrope. They want to do the good things, but then they have to take the bad with it. So they may have to keep buying fossil fuels to See, do it. That, that's leadership through fear, though. It is. And it's wrong. We have so much fear-based activity now in our society and our culture um, everybody's preparing for the next disaster as opposed to taking small actions on a daily basis, much like yourself. Um, what are the meat and bones of AOC's um, new Green Deal? Well, you know, it's not actually not um, it's not her Green New Deal. It was actually um, I don't know about created. It was it was written year the principles of it were written years ago, but it's really been spearheaded by the Sunrise Movement. The Sunrise Movement were the um, people who did the sit-in, and I forget how many people got arrested at Nancy Pelosi's office, but that's when um, AOC was really launched, was really launched um, into the public spotlight. Um, so she she was there. She did all the speaking. She came out right there as uh, as almost the voice of of progressives really she's definitely the face now <laughs> she's definitely the face but she was she was spearheading what they had originally said and um the essence it, it, it's extremely complicated so um one of the things that we've always done as a group uh, locally is to take information that's really complicated and try and figure out how can we summarize this so that people understand it because you can't tell people to email their senators about the Green New Deal if they don't know what it is. And so like, I would write a summary and then I would give it to my friend and I'd say, this is still too complicated. Can you please summarize it? And we went round and round. It was complicated. But what we came down to, the, the bones of it, is 100% green renewable energy by 2030, a public jobs program which generates 20 million new living wage jobs, and an ambitious... I'm reading this ambitious yet secure economic and environmental program to revive the economy, turn the tide on climate change and make wars for oil obsolete. So this is a very large, very expensive program. This is this is following the idea of the New Deal from FDR to turn around the the problem that they had. In fact, the quote from him is to wage a war against the emergency, just as though we were, in fact, invaded by a foreign foe which is quite ironic because on the 2016 election we were, <laughs> our election was hacked. So we're really in the middle of all of these things. Um, and so it, this is not just an environmental thing. And I think it's important that with the climate strike, they're talking about these same principles. It's not a, This is not about the climate. We we can solve the climate um, in, in numerous ways, but this is also about income inequity. This is about... In any 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 student of history knows that if you have an income inequity that you, like we do now, this is this ends in people storming the gates. This is extremely dangerous for all of us. We we don't want to go to war. We don't want our country to be ripped apart. When we see the homeless people on the streets, that's the tip of the iceberg. There's other people couch surfing, 
can't afford to feed their children, have to choose between feeding the cat or putting gas in the car to get to work. This is a serious problem and, and people only tolerate so much. It gets dangerous for all of us and, and we need to treat each other equitably anyway. This is just wrong. So when it comes to equity, how do you feel about the idea of universal income where everybody gets $1,000 to lessen the burden of life and that we're on a more equal playing field? I think that that's uh, exactly where we should be. Um, We have a long way to go as a country in messaging about these things. Um, Like Medicare and universal income and climate. The things that we can afford but we don't have, yeah. Um, I, I think that um, universal income is absolutely what we should have. Uh, I think the minimum wage we have in this country is absolutely horrifying. Um, it's it's amazing to me that people get by, seem to get by as well as they do with the wages that people can earn. It's horrifying, particularly because we can see very clearly in the Seattle area that People are getting priced out. They can't afford properties. The properties are going up unbelievable percentages. And our um, transportation infrastructure is not enabling people to get to work as quickly as they'd like. People are taking two hours to get to work, two hours to get home, or they're sleeping in a tent because they can't afford to live in Seattle. This is happening across the country. Um, Mm -hmm. I I will say that Seattle's worked on the infrastructure with light, light rail and taking down the viaduct and adding ports and has the rail system, the metro, the ferry system, the rideshare bicycles. It, As a progressive city, it has a decent infrastructure, in my mind. It's not a huge city. It's not a city of more than a million people. Um, but there is so many people that are priced out living with mental illness, drug addiction, or they're just in between jobs or they're one paycheck away from homelessness or they're transitioning from one situation to another. There's all these different variables. But it's hard to get behind somebody like Jay Inslee, who is a a strong climate advocate and wants to clean up the earth. But you see pictures of just thousands and thousands of homeless people and you know, these needle exchange parks, and now we're clearing space for people just to tent. We've we've almost given up to the extent where, okay, here's a block, and we're just making this a homeless community now. And when the viaduct was going on and the construction on the docks and the ferry system, it was really in everybody's face. You know, when you left this island and got in Seattle, you saw a, a dirty Seattle for the first time in Basically, in my lifetime, the last five years, it's gotten a lot dirtier. It used to be one of the cleanest cities around. And there's some real problems going on. And how we affect, how this affects people is, is radical. And we are in a, in a state where the minimum wage is a lot higher than most states. And I think you see it in the division of people wanting to make two states out of Washington – Washington and Cascadia, because half the state has a different thought process. And you look around in America, and it's a lot worse than a lot, a lot of other places. And we, we kind of turn our, turn, our, turn our head or stay in this little bubble here. We're a very progressive area of the United States, left coast, best coast. 
And we don't know what's going on in Kentucky. You know, I've unfortunately, fortunately, whatever you want to say, lived there for a short period of time. And um, it's a much different climate, much different. How do you see us getting past all this and going forward where we are helping people where it used to be the veterans were the ones that were on the streets because we weren't taking care of our previous military people. Now we have this boom with tech and Starbucks and Microsoft, Amazon, Boeing. We have all these um, industries that bring people to our city and we have a small city. So it's getting crowded. It's the problems are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. How do we as an individual, you know, make, make a dent in that? Well, I'd have to say it's all systemic. It's all down to the politicians. They, the actions that they take affect everybody. And um, I think that it's easy for them sometimes to sit on the sidelines and say, if I do that, then I might not get voted in. That's their primary concern is getting voted in. Yeah, because- why does that even matter? Just do the right thing. That's why you take office to, to make positive change, in well, my mind. I think we all do the right things and we all do the wrong things. Um, well, we are all fallible and works in progress. But- and we all like to think we're, you know, perfect. <laughs> But we all do things that are good and we all do things that are bad. And, and then we ignore the things that we do that are bad. You know, I'm a, I'm a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian for 20 years or something. But, uh, you know, I still, I still eat um, dairy products. So, you know, whatever. It's, you know, you just, you just try and do the best that you can. And I think with politicians, they think, I have a stronger, I'm just, I'm just guessing, I have a stronger moral compass than everybody else. And I'm able to speak up. I'm bold enough. And I can write bills or I can ask somebody else to write bills. I I feel comfortable that I can do this job well. And therefore, I'm going to do the job and I can do it better than everybody else. And that is why I do the job. And if I need to take fossil fuel money in order to do that, um, perhaps uh, as a politician, my priorities might be schools or they might be uh, infrastructure. I'm going to get a train line that goes across the states and I'm going to make it happen. Whatever it might be, uh, improve food transportation, which might be obscure to a lot of people, so we have less spoilage. You know, whatever else it might be, they have their key issues. So I think that they think that this is important to them. They know the individuals in their state. It's important to them, and they feel that they're serving those people. But um, I I think, I, I forget the details, but Jay Inslee at one point voted for something, and then he, he got voted out for it. And and that's called having a backbone. And um, and, and that's that's what politicians should have. But like I say, we're all fallible. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned produce in there, and I, I flashed to uh, Jamie Oliver in The Naked Chef in, in England and how he started the the wonky fruit grocery stores. So we have all this GMO-type vegetables, greenhouse vegetables, stuff like that. And you go to the store, and they're wax-polished individually. There's a sticker with a barcode on each apple, you know. There's so much food that we throw out because it ha- doesn't have that visual look, like the perfect round, shiny apple. And you look at Venezuela, that, like they, they're not even accepting our food. There's fathom all over. It, and we waste and waste and waste. And we're an obese society here in America. We have to make changes. And are you a vegetarian for environmental reasons or ethical reasons against animals? I am completely obsessed about little fluffy animals. Uh, it's one of my things. Um, it, you know, I think it goes back. I, I Shout didn't out to Baxter. And 
uh, I didn't really understand uh, this until I spoke to my sister. She visited me recently, and uh, we were talking about how she's she's been in a council for twenty years. She makes me look like a real slacker, and uh, and she said that she had decided to get into essentially fighting for civil rights. When we lived in Alabama, we were a military family. And uh, I guess I was about 10 and we lived there for two years. And she said that she was horrified that she went to school and the the children would divide into, you know, those who were in the KKK and those who were normal and, and colored people who you weren't supposed to talk to if you weren't friends with the people who were. It was just a thing. It's just like, well, I'm going to be in the KKK. I guess they have parties and that's why everybody. I don't know why you would want to be in the KKK, but that was the thing, apparently. And that's when she looked at other people's moral compass and realized it was different to hers. And then she started to think. It, well, it, it, it's, a, it's a smack in the face when you think people around you are immoral. You know, it, it, it really wakes you up. And um, my waking up moment living in Alabama was uh, it horrified me that uh, we'd ha- you would just see dogs, big dogs, little dogs, whatever, uh, tied up on chains outside all day long crying. And, they, and they, everybody just thought that's what dogs do. They cry all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, and my next door neighbor had a golden retriever and I would go and I would, it was a bird dog. So once a year, the guy would take the dog off in his um, bird dog suit thing with his little gun or whatever with his friends. <laughs> and it's, it, it, he sounds like a toddler, really. It's kind of silly. And he would come back and he ha- would ha- tow a trailer behind with hundreds of ducks with their heads hanging off the edge of the trailer, probably so the blood didn't get all of his, his pretty trailer. Um, and I don't know what he did with these ducks. I guess him and his friends ate them or I don't know. But anyway, he had this dog, a golden retriever that he would take with him. And uh, and it would, it would run around, have a great time for a week. It was probably very well trained. And then he would chain it outside and it would cry all year for 51 weeks. And so I would go and I would borrow it and I would walk it. I, I I just it, it, it I couldn't handle that, that I can't I couldn't I guess that's when I realized I can't handle immorality happening around me without taking action and it it, it it's not only uh, a wake up when you realize that people are doing something you consider to be completely wrong uh, it's also that other people just accept it and do nothing and that's that's like watching somebody kick a homeless person to death and doing nothing and just watching other people just walking past. We've all heard of these stories. But yeah, rest in peace, Tuba Man. It's, that, that's when you just decide who you are. You say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not that person. I can't, I can't wake up. And, I, I can wake up anxious because I think about these things which are so scary. It's, it's very frightening to realize that an administration that's in charge of 300 million people is corrupt and um, and to feel that your senators and your representative are not doing all they can to protect you and your children, that's really hard. There's certain things that you consider they could be doing better, but you, sometimes you just have to look things in the face. What do you say to somebody that says, my vote doesn't really count for anything, one person's action isn't going to make change? How do you get that person up off the couch and motivated? Oh, I have a great response to that, actually. So um, we've lived here for 21 years, and we've been here on green cards. And um, I decided to become a citizen for purely selfish reasons about four years ago. Uh, my mother, well, I, it may be shocking, but now that I'm 49, my in-laws, my parents are getting a little older. And so I just wanted to know that I think you have to be a citizen for seven years in order to sponsor somebody to come in. I just felt that if we had to caretake them, if we ever came to that, then I'd have the ability to do that. And, and also, 
it seems silly to have children who are Americans and not have the ability to stay here if anything ever changed with a green card system. So I did it for very selfish reasons. Uh, but then this all happened and now I can vote. And since then, my husband and my son have both become citizens um, so that they can vote. So it, it, it's a real power. I think uh, we've been immunized. I think we all realize that a vote matters now. Um, I voted, sadly, in the election that we got the Trump administration. Um, but I think we all... Realize, I think we're all also very aware much more of our local politicians now than we were before. Uh, you know, and, and, and I can say that for the older people, but the, we're now seeing that the youth are stepping up too. It's not just the climate change people. It's not just the climate strike people or the Sunrise Movement. It's not just those groups. It's also um, uh, the Never Again Movement from the Parkland students in Florida they, uh, they've done a national tour. They've been incredibly active. They're relentless. I know that David Hogg has um, given up school for the year. Um, it's inevitable he's going into politics, and that's going to be amazing. Who's David Hogg? David Hogg is one of the main people. There's a bunch of them. Um, there's Emma... <sighs> Emma Gonzalez, I think is her last name. There's um, a number of students and they stood up and they um, spoke very loudly. Uh, David Hogg was one of the loudest ones of them because um, in Parkland... Um, oh, was he the Parkland shooting survivor that's exactly. done the book tour? Exactly. Where do... They've done the book tour. What was that book called? Never Again... Marjorie Stone Douglas is the name of the school. Anyway, um, so he um, he was a journalist for the school paper. So uh, one of the stories about him that's very quite, outspoken, very very relentless, uh, very outspoken. And he um, one of the great stories about him was that um, after the shooting, everybody was horrified. They evacuated everybody, and he went home. And he was probably shaking and in shock. Um, and his sister was there, and two of her friends, I think, were killed. I mean, it was awful. Uh, and nobody knew if their friends were alive or not. And this is why they call them survivors. Sometimes it seems to me to sound dramatic to be a survivor, but literally people around you are dying. I mean, it's... Yeah, I don't like it when people say, <sighs> oh, you you just didn't get shot. You're not a survivor. What are you talking about? You didn't, like, get shot and then go to the hospital and survive. You're fine. You don't label yourself as a survivor. And there's a lot of thought process like that. And then, the, you know, Alex Jones coming out saying what he said was just absolutely ridiculous yep. so yeah i know Dave, i know who david is i had a chance through town hall to meet him but i had something else going on that night i got to meet him you i did. got to shake his hand yeah. and i told him that he was my hero and he must have thought that i was absolutely crazy if he understood what i said because of my crazy accent but he really he after after that accident happened and all the craziness happened and him and Lauren went home. His parents said, okay, just stay here. Just relax. Try and do something to calm down. And he got on his bicycle and then he went straight back to the school and he was interviewing everybody and making sure that this was publicized and this wasn't let go. And, um, you know, it's a wealthy school, highly educated students. Um, this is something that the straw that broke the camel's back. This was enough shootings. It's going to stop. The kids who know how to speak I don't, I, I don't know. You know, when Colin Columbine was the the straw that broke the camel's back at one time, and then there's been like 256 United States school shootings since Columbine. I, and don't fact check me, but that's a relative number of how many there there has been. And it's, it's it it is a fear. I know as a parent, you know, last year we had multiple lockdowns at the, at the school, 
And we're on a small island here. And you, you put your head in the sand thinking, oh, it would never happen in a small, quaint, educated town of Bainbridge Island. But, you know, crazy stuff happens. The, the kid, or not the kid, but the man pulled into Ordway there, you know, and he his, threw his girlfriend out who was overdosing, then dra- drove down Madison, and then the police shot him twice in his car. The Duckworth murder... Um, a few months ago, you know, things happen. And I think saying that it'll never happen to you, that's wrong. Fearing it all the time, that's wrong. Being prepared and having my child know the lockdown protocol, you know, as opposed to when I was going to school, put your head under the desk in case of an earthquake, although we don't live in a fault line wherever that was, you know. Um it's different. And just the normalcy of a lockdown for an eight, nine, 10 year old kid is shocking to me. It really is. As a parent, I'm always like, be kind, stay out of mob mentalities. And, and the, in my mind, I don't want to cause panic in my son, but it is a fear of mine. You know, could it happen? Kids are committing suicide at an all-time rate. You know, it's, it's difficult in this society. I hope that people like David make a dent. You know, we, we definitely talk about it. But as adults, we can't dismiss this stuff either. No, but there, I, I don't know enough about the, about the gun legislation going through, but I know there is some strong legislation going through right now. And there is serious change happening. There is. And um, it's absolutely – my children, they're between the age of 18 and 22, and uh, they're exactly the age that it was completely normalized from the first day of school that they were going to do gun lockdowns, and that was acceptable and normalized. And it shouldn't be. And um, I don't think there's anybody I know who hasn't personally been affected by gun violence. Uh, my youngest, when he was in elementary school, there was a kindergartner who found his mom's gun in the bedside table and killed himself. And um, yeah, it's horrible. And there was a when we lived in Spokane for seven years, there was a gun shooting at the school, which is eight blocks from the house. Um, on it goes. There was a shooting at at least once a year in Spokane, in either a nightclub or somewhere. When we lived there, and of course, there's been the shootings on Bainbridge Island, like one a year. I don't know. It's horrifying, and the number of lockdowns was getting to the point I was ready to homeschool. And uh, <laughs> I'm absolutely serious because if I can't keep my children safe at school, then, you know, and a lock on the door is not going to do it. Getting rid of the guns and stopping people who have, have uh, you know, have problems or or um, they shouldn't have access to automatic weapons. I mean, if you're not in the military, really, why do you need one? How many deer do you need to kill? You know, I, I just don't see that. It's purely the gun lobby. It really is. It's purely the NRA, and and that has to stop. And the dark money, the dark money, um, in the uh, dark money rulings in HR one would stop the money being funneled to the NRA and people from the NRA. I'm sorry, um, things like that. And there are big changes coming. I think that um, the balance is tipping. It's it's got too corrupt. I think that if the Trump administration and other levels of government had come in and decided to steal a few dollars here, a few dollars there, and scrape a little bit out of the bottom of the barrel when no one else is looking, that's fine. They've taken it too far, and they, mm-hmm. they won't get away with it. And that's why I think that would change, and I think that affects gun rights too. A couple things that just random here. Our military is the biggest employer in the United States. 
Yeah, we have excess. We have 1,200 nuclear warheads within 20 miles of where we're sitting here in Studio 15. We have so many shootings all across the United States. Oh, what, what is even my point here? I'm just like throwing up in my mouth even saying this stuff out loud. Um, do you see Trump winning a, a second term? Yes, I do, unless we do something, unless we have all hands on deck. Uh, we need to be recruiting here at Indivisible Bainbridge Island, all indivisible groups. That's the main goal that we have for this year. So we need to have activities. We need to be out there. We need to be public, which is one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast episode. Um, and uh, yes, I do see Trump winning in 2020 unless there's real feet on the ground. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll list these activities in the show notes so people can participate. How do people get involved with your organization? Uh, they can go to the website. We have an events calendar that we work very hard to keep updated. It has all of the activities on there. You can join us on Facebook. Um, you can email me. Um, What's the website? That's a good point. Um, IndivisibleBainbridgeIsland.com. I call it Ibby. IndivisibleBainbridgeIsland.com. And I didn't mention that the word indivisible uh, relates to um, indivisible one nation under God. So that, that's a, a statement of patriotism uh, to say that we are not resisting um, the administration. We are resisting this administration and we are patriots. We are trying to preserve our country and our democracy and have it um, placed in such a way that it takes care of its people. You got an event going on at uh, the New Egg soon? Ah, well. Is it New Egg? No. Where's this at? <laughs> It's the, the good, good egg. The good egg's better than the bad egg. Yes, it's the good egg. So um, there was an event at um, the good egg, uh, and that was on Wednesday today. I know, I know that. See, it's a new establishment. It is. That's why I confused new egg with good egg. I know. I know. It's new, and it's very wonderful. I very much recommend it. Who's this Mike Kelly guy that spoke on uh, climate? So Mike Kelly is in the Citizens' Climate Lobby. And um, which is a, a national group, and they, they want to fix climate change. They want it to be slowed down dramatically. And he's, he focuses on the legislation, and he had the best news on Wednesday night, actually. It was... Uh, oh, yeah. Tell me about that event that you went to Wednesday. That's a good boy, and I should tell you about the event. So um, it was on Wednesday at the Good Egg, and we had two presenters. We had Mike Kelly from the Citizens Climate Lobby. So he's the guy who handles the national issues. And then there's Brian Anderson from the Climate Action Bainbridge, and he's more state-based. So they look at legislation, they look at issues, and uh, they think about which legislation it's worth moving forward with, and they communicate to people so that they um, communicate with their senators and their representatives. Uh, either from state or from national. And so Mike Kelly was talking about uh, an absolutely unbelievable bill, um, life-changing, worldwide important. And the bill was H.R. 763, and it's in this Congress, in the 116th Congress. uh, And the bill is called Energy Innovation Equals Carbon Dividend Act. So you could say that that is carbon tax, but here is where it turns around. Um, when the money is taken, and the money is taken from uh, fossil fuel uh, production units, for want of a better word, um, and that would be either oil, coal, anything that involves carbon fuels, uh, the money is taken right there and right then uh, as a percentage of uh, the value of the 
the carbon forms. And then um, obviously that puts the price up of those things, which has always been the problem for the carbon tax. Now, here's where it turns around is that that money that is taken is then given per capita to everybody in the United States. So what that means is that the people who use the most fuel will not pay will pay more in taxes but then the money will be evenly sorry not in taxes in these dividends and then that money will be redistributed so the poor people will be the one that benefit the most and they have i I would imagine that would be the citizens climate lobby website have a calculator so you can put your income in there and you can figure out how much you would pay now if you imagine um, somebody who has three helicopters doesn't know how many houses there are. I don't. They have. I don't know if you remember that in the the candidate forums, but one person didn't know in the presidential um, forums how many houses they had. Um, you know, and cars and goodness knows what. Uh, I, I'm going to just take a guess that they probably burn more carbon than anybody else who's you know got a standard job and one car and whatever. So um, the poor people will actually benefit from this, and this dividend will be paid out once a month. Uh, in advance. So there really is no downside whatsoever for your average person. But the people that really burn the most money, uh, they're the ones that will be paying more proportionately. So that's really wonderful. And um, there's been, I, I don't know much about this, but there's been yellow vest protesters in France protesting against the carbon taxes. And carbon taxes is something people have thrown around for years. And if it's disproportionately going to affect the poor, if you know their car is more of a gas guzzler because it's old and it's and it's inexpensive, then they're going to pay more for their gas than somebody who's driving around in an electric car. That's obviously not fair. This this addressed that, so it's really very exciting. And um, according to their calculations, they say that fifty three percent of people would get a net benefit, and including ninety percent of those below the poverty line. So. That's really exciting. Uh, another thing that's interesting about this is that um, this bill, and I'll say it again, HR763, so it's in the House. It doesn't have a partner bill in the Senate yet, yet, but it's coming up next month, so, so they said. Um, and this, this bill is bipartisan in the House. Um, and there, it's by, it has uh, one Florida rep, I think. Um, but when it comes to the Senate, to get it through the Senate, it has to be bipartisan because we're going to need 60 senators. Um, and, and a really interesting point that he brought up was that if it's going to be in place for 30 years, which is what we need, we don't need it in place now and then it to be weakened over time. It has to be bipartisan because we always need 60 senators no matter what the administration. So I thought that was really important. That, that really blew me away that this this is our green new deal that's what that's looking like to me because with having the dividends which incrementally go up each year are going to put more and more pressure out there then that's going to make it more um relevant and more inexpensive to get solar panels they can be mass produced that's just one example if if things get more expensive people are going to go to less expensive techniques of getting their energy or being more energy or conserving energy because it'll be less affordable over time the american way is to be cheap right it's a beautiful thing <laughs> no being frugal is, <laughs> yes. is a beautiful thing being yes. cheap is the whole <laughs> oh nother. i see what you're saying. <laughs> um, our island runs primarily the power on coal i kind of struggle with this that we we have a huge carbon footprint by just getting the coal from Montana and then burning that as our major energy source. 
there's got to be a way to harness some wind, tidal power. Uh, solar's a bit difficult because we, you know, we're in an undeveloped island with lots of trees. So, as you can see, and my roof was one of them that just got replaced. There's a lot of moss because there's a lot of darkness on on houses, so it's difficult. But a thought I had was maybe the public works buildings, like city hall, the schools, the fire station, the police station, uh, any big hospital. Those things should be required to have some type of renewable energy source built into those type of establishments to help burden lessen this burden of uh, coal dependency. This person that wrote it is this guy, Bainbridge guy that wrote this. I believe so. Yeah, Mike Kelly from the Citizen. Oh, and he didn't write the bill. He's just talking about it. Oh, okay. That's really interesting stuff. Um, what have we not hit about the new Green Deal that that people should be excited about? Uh, what have we not hit? Um, well, fun fact about the Green New Deal. Um, the <laughs> Hashtag Green, fun fact. <laughs> Hashtag, uh, the Green New Deal was um, it, it, it was it was a set of plans and principles that was developed over a long period of time. Uh, it's it's sort of been in the works, and uh, and and they were tr- starting to tell the press about it, and they somehow got this tagline, the Green New Deal, and they didn't want to call it that. They thought it sounded a bit glib. But everybody loved it, so they just went with it. Because um, green, I don't know, it, it maybe it just sounds a little hippie-ish. I don't know. But anyway. Well, you see it like Rite Aid changed their colors from blue and red to green and brown, so it's more earthy and yeah. and, and friendly. And there, There's a huge push towards the word green. Well, words do morph over time. They're their meanings. They do morph over time. Um what do we need to know about the Green New Deal? Well, I think I think the most exciting thing that we haven't talked about too much is um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, and um, she's uh, fireball. And she, um, with her spearheading this and her constantly inundating us with common sense solutions, um, it's very exciting. She's, she's making it more real. She's getting it out there. She's persuasive. She's... She's easy on the eyes. She's easy on the eyes. She's uh, no, but that that's really important because um, she's young, youthful, spirited, Hispanic, um, willing to be fallible and 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 say, "Hey, what are you doing?" At least I'm trying. Yeah, right? yeah. I, I loved know, when she came out and said that. Looks are extremely important these days. Uh, one thing that's very uh, there's, that's why I'm on radio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it it it's it's really important to get to get uh, words out there and figure out your messaging and all the rest of it. But in the age of social media, that does literally change literally everything. Uh, for instance, uh, David Hogg might be a very determined person and um, a great orator and so on. But, uh, you know, his his facial shape, the way that he looks is very distinctive. And the same, obviously, for Emma Gonzalez. She has a shaved head. And um, with ev- now that um, it's all clickbait and you flick through things really fast, someone has to have a face that looks different but very attractive and very um, gra- somehow unique. unique eye-catching. And, and exactly, eye-catching. I was going to say gra- it grasps your attention. Uh, that that's really important because everybody has chronic AD right now because you're just always on social media and um, it's challenging to get people's attention. Uh, and with with her spearheading it, I think that's really important. Um, and she's 
she's attractive to women she's attractive to men i guess and uh and minorities and so so many people can personally relate to her and the message that she gives and she makes sure she makes it very personal she's on instagram uh cooking while she's talking about politics um she was on it she was playing a video game recently so she's getting the attention of the youth who can now relate to her um she talks personally about how it feels to start in washington dc with no money and you don't get paid for the first two months you know she makes it extremely personal and i saw her respond to somebody on some social media outlet and they said what can i do to protect the environment personally i'm so frustrated and she said uh go vegetarian don't buy new clothes you know she just laid it out there she's and then she ate a hamburger the next day and got photographed <laughs> Poor girl. <laughs> well, she's out there. She's out there. She's saying what she thinks, and she's saying what we think, and we can relate to her. And I th- and the older people are so glad that she's out there being vocal. Well, why do you think the Republicans were quick to say, "Yeah, let's push this Green Deal. It's going to fail. You're going to get taxed to death." And Mitch McConnell personally was like, "Yeah, bring it, bring it." But at that point, I think it's more a legislation of a talking point to start with, right? It's not a bill or a levy that's trying to get pushed through. Oh, I'm glad you brought point. that up. Yeah, it's a, it's simply a resolution. It's um it's a statement of intent and so um it's a statement that if you and they're asking for co-sponsors uh and, and, until they get to the vote. And if you're a co-sponsor that's saying I believe that um that earth we should matters. do <laughs> yeah, the earth matters. And uh people should have living wages so that they can then go on to be able to afford healthcare and to take care of their children. And they're basic principles uh that every politician should be aspiring to. Um, and so, uh, fun fact, uh, another fun fact, uh, neither of our senators uh, and only two representatives out of the 10 in Washington state are co-sponsors, and they are Representative Jayapal and Representative Smith. They're both in the Seattle downtown Seattle area. Um, it, it's just really important that people sign on to this. What's wrong with the Paris Agreement? The Paris, the Paris Agreement is not binding. And the other thing that I learned the other night was that actually you can't just say I'm out of the Paris Agreement. That's it. We're done. Um, it actually takes years to pull out of it. Uh, I'm assuming it's an agreement between different companies. I haven't looked deeply into it. But uh, we won't be pulled out of it until 2020 anyway. So to say that we're pulled out of the pa- Paris Agreement is just hyperbole again. Good word. <laughs> I try. I try. Well, Holly, thanks for coming in. Anything else you want to say to the world out there listening? Actually, there is, and I'm surprised I didn't mention it earlier. Um, there's there's things that people can do. They can come to our events and so on. But there is a big initiative that we have around the Green New Deal, um, and that is that we have um, a resolution. The, the, res- the Green New Deal is a resolution. That's in Washington, D.C. There's one in the House and there's one in the Senate. Uh, but we also have a local initiative that we want people to sign on to. We have signed on to it. Climate Action Bainbridge has signed on to it. A bunch of other groups in Wallingford and and other places have have signed on to it. We would like as many organizations as possible to sign on to it, and we would like individuals to sign on to it. And what we will do with that resolution is, it's a Google document. You can sign up online. So can we have the the link in the meeting notes? Yeah, as many links as you want. That would be great. And um, so you can sign your organization or your as an individual with who you are and your importance in the in the um, organization of the state to compel the senators and also to compel our representatives to co-sponsor the Green New Deal in Washington D.C. to say this is what we want. We want you to protect our environment and to protect us. Um, so you can just co-sponsor that. That would be great. And then on April 9th, 
That will be the second Tuesday. So we will be going to see the senator's staffers and we will take it with us with all the signatures, um, all the people who've signed up to that. And we will say, can we please have a Green New Deal? And we really liked the shamrock thing last time. So this time we're going to do a spring motif. So we're going to have um, notes shaped like eggs, bunnies and uh, chicks. And we will take them in saying, can we please have a Green New Deal? So we will take those in for a nice visual as well. So when we hand over the resolution to the senator staffers, we will take pictures and put it on the internet. And you can see it. Awesome. Well, follow Holly, Holly Brewer on IndivisibleBI.com, correct? Bainbridge Island. Bainbridge Island. The title is as long as possible and as difficult to spell as possible. IndivisibleBainbridgeIsland.org. Okay. Dot org. Uh, and Instagram and Twitter, you can follow The Bystander on Facebook and Instagram now. Um, before I go, I want to give a shout-out to Great Northern Electric. You did a great job wiring my sump pump at my house last week. Thank you. <laughs> Support local businesses. Holly, thanks for your time. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Bystander. Be kind.